Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for TWIP is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com and Audible dot com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash TWIP. And Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to Squarespace.com forward slash TWIP. Learning photography, sending physical cards from your digital device, and iFi introduces View. It's Saturday, October 30th, 2010, Halloween Eve, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to another episode of TWIP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson, and today joining me on the show are Mr. Alex Lindsay, Nicole Young, and Ron Brinkman. Hey, guys. Hello. All right. We, we got to start with Alex because this man has been circling the globe like <laughs> Superman trying to change the rotation or something. What, Alex, where have you been in the uh, last like three, four, five weeks? months or something oh, um well we were in uh we were shooting in i think we I, I think i've been here since then i we were in london of course and in europe and then we came back for a couple of weeks and then we went and did a shoot um in uh japan so we were in japan for just just four or five days and then i flew from japan to uh straight to dc where we where i was speaking and uh, having some meetings in uh with some agencies there and then um and then I uh, we got home, and I was home for a week, and then we went to Phoenix, where we were shooting motion capture. Jeez! Uh, in, and I hear while I hear while you were in DC, you met a uh, a TWIP listener, Captain Tyler Ginter, out there. I did. It was great. I got to sit in. I got to sit in one of his talks. It was nice. it was awesome. Yeah. So I was uh, I was I was excited. Turns out, here's the craziest thing. It turns out that he grew up uh, ten miles from my house. What? Yeah, he was like, he's like, oh yeah, because I, 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 I could. From, uh, if you're from Western Pennsylvania, people from Western Pennsylvania, it's kind of like you know, you can just sense it. You can sense the Pittsburgh fans, and um, and uh, and so I said, where are you from? And he's like, oh, a little town in Western Pennsylvania. And I was like, you might want to try me. And uh, he said, I'm from Saxonburg. Well, you know, when I go out to eat with my with my uh, parents. We go to the Saxonburg Hotel, which is a which is a uh, restaurant right in right in downtown Saxonburg. And so, so anyway, it's it's uh, uh, you know it's ten miles from my house. So he grew That's up, awesome. you know, just a stone's throw away. That's so a anyways. small. It's a small world. I uh, I had a chance to meet with him and finally uh, shake the hand of Mister Aaron Mailer out there in there DC go. while I was there. So got to meet two people whose whose uh, voices were the only thing familiar to me so i have awesome. to say that I, the, the i don't uh i didn't realize the scale of what he was doing over you know in the army yeah yeah you know i mean it's like they were like we i, I think that they have i think it was oh, i don't remember the number now it's either three or four hundred uh you know five d's that they're using for really? you know all this coverage yeah it's not i was thinking oh it's a, it's a couple you know it's 20 or 30 people it's it's not yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, well, let's move on. Also on the show, um, again, we ha- we are fortunate enough to have Miss Nicole Young joining us. Hey, Nicole. Hey. How are you doing? I'm good. You've been shooting? What have you been up to? I have. I've been doing a lot of stuff in my studio. I finished uh, the bit, bulk of my new book, just working on little bits of pieces of edits and stuff here and there. So I've been back to shooting and it's good. 
Awesome. And what what book is that? Just refresh our memory. The uh, Canon 60D from Snapshots to Great Shots. Awesome, great. And you do you love that camera? Are you going to switch wholeheartedly over to the 60D from the 5D Mark II? No, I well actually I have a 7D. I don't have oh. a 5D. Oh, okay. Um, no, the, the 60D it's it's a it's not it's going to be a backup camera. It's more it's I wouldn't switch. I use my 7D mostly for my main my main shooting. Um, it's kind of my walk around camera, my photo walk camera, my let me take it randomly out, you know, when I'm going somewhere camera. It's your, it's your purse camera, right? You, yeah, sling, I guess you sling so. it well, along your shoulder and have to take yeah. it with you? Yeah, but it, 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 compar- it's, it's pretty comparable to the, the 70. It's just, uh, I already have the 70, you know, so it's, that's kind of my workhorse camera. Awesome. And as I mentioned before, also on the show with us, Mr. Ron Brinkman again. Hey, Mr. Ron Brinkman. Hello. Good what, to be here again. What is going on down there in Southern California? Mm, just stopped raining and now it's back to sunshine. <laughs> nice. You know, <laughs> whenever I talk to you, Rod, I get the feeling that you were sitting in that back cave of yours with surrounded by books with your feet kicked up on the desk, barefoot, listening to the and, and talking into the mic. Is that, is uh, that yeah, you pretty that, much nailed that's it. That's it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just had that picture and you were just like relaxing and chilling down there. That's great. This is a relaxing kind of show to do. I sort of like that. It is, until we start fighting about things like crop sensors. And <laughs> oh, I'm totally relaxed when we fight about those things because I'm right. <laughs> yeah, you could be he just right. Lets us, he lets us wallow in our, in our ignoramus. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Uh, let's move on from that. Uh, who are we brought to uh, for this podcast? Or who's sponsoring this podcast, Alex? Well, our, our first sponsor, of course, is audible.com. And who uh, are they? Audible.com? You don't know who Audible... I think they're the, leading, they're the leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. And uh, what are we giving away for, for listeners of this podcast? What do they get? Well, if they... If- if you go up to audible.com slash, is it, is it slash twip? I don't have it right. Um, it is audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. Yes. Yeah. So if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip, uh, you can get a free book. So if you haven't done this before, you can get a free book. You can download anything you want. Now, uh, I think Fred's got a, a recommendation. I have to say that I'm listening to a book called A Thousand Hills, which is about uh, Rwanda. And uh, it is it's it's really really good it's really it's hard to listen to at times you get so angry you want to throw your mm. iPhone at something but um <laughs> but the uh it's you know it's funny the audio quality is not very good you know it keeps on changing it sounds like there's two different guys kind of seamlessly reading it mm-hmm. and the writing is just okay but the but the, the the facts of it are so compelling and it's the kind of book that i'm pretty clear i wouldn't read you know like i just don't think i'd sit down it's just too long and uh, I had a lot of driving last week, and I just found myself, I'm almost through the whole book. And that's what I love about Audible, is just that, is that I can just absorb this stuff. And I just found myself last night on a bus coming up from the airport, just uh, kind of just sitting there and just uh, totally immersed in this other world without having to actually use my eyes, which was awesome. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so, the, the book that I'm currently, or I just finished listening to it on, a, on the flight back from D.C. was... Um, it's called Search by John Battelle. It's it's an older book. I mean, it was published in 2005, but it, just from that standpoint, because it was written in 2005, and considering how fast internet technology 
moves. Um, it's really refreshing to get a snapshot of where we were in 2005. <laughs> and it goes through, I mean, it's like a snapshot of how Google is going to take over and what they're doing. And, you know, it talks about how Eric Schmidt joined the company and how they wooed him to come in and how he's playing coy and hard to get. And he finally got him and all this stuff. And it goes into how Google kind of went into or what the thinking was behind the different search algorithms that they put in and how their their do no evil sort of mantra um, is not always adhered to. And they discuss why and all that sort of stuff. So it's it's a really good snapshot into Internet technology. They talk about how you know Yahoo was going to acquire Google but decided not to and then the AOL deal that Google did that helped them get to where they are and it just goes on and on and on and on so um it's a really good book it's read by the author John Battelle and it's it, his voice is really easy to kind of consume it's not one of those grating on your nerves kind of voices so definitely recommend it just know that when you buy it or when you download it it's from 2005 so look at it from the standpoint of they're not talking about Facebook. They're not talking about Twitter. They're talking about the future of the internet as being search, not social media. So it's very interesting. Now, if you'd like to get a free audiobook of your choice, head over to audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. All right, let's jump into the news. Uh, before we get into the news, I wanted to have a quick conversation with you guys um, about photographic education. Now, I've been getting lots of email and feedback and forum DMs, all this stuff from people that are that are wondering what the best way, what's the best way to learn photography. Now, of course, the obvious answer to that is just go out and shoot. You know, just pick a subject and go out and shoot. But it's not always that easy because you can go out and spin your wheels and be shooting leaves and cracks in the sidewalk all day and not really advance your knowledge of photography. So I wanted to put it to this panel, to you guys, to, you know, individually, what do you think the best way for, say, an amateur moving to sort of advanced amateur, what's the best way for them to get their brain around the fundamentals of photography to build a solid foundation of light, exposure, composition, all that stuff? Ron, I'll throw it to you first. Uh, I would say... Usually, it, it all boils down to ha- to give yourself an assignment or to get an assignment or to be somewhere. You can't just go out and shoot. You can't yeah. just go out and say, I'm going to take pictures, and the more I take, I'm going to get it. Because that doesn't – you get into a comfort zone way too quick with that. You need to have something that is a challenge that's going to be like, well, I don't, I don't know how to do that, and kind of force yourself to, to get around it. And so you know, that, may, that may require you to take a class where they can challenge you to do it. Or it may just be setting certain goals for yourself where you just get pushed beyond your, your comfort zone. For me, that's the only way I ever learn something is if it's, you know, I have a goal in mind rather than just I'm going to do this more. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Kind of the way that I learn anything, the way my brain works is I have to have a carrot. And that carrot is usually like if I want to build a website, um, then my end goal is to have a decent looking website up there. So I'm going to figure that out. But if it's just, hey, I want to learn about WordPress or something yeah. like that, I'm not going to learn it because all the different – you have to like embed practically the different steps and techniques Yeah, and it's all the little stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the stuff that you wouldn't – if you don't know what things you don't know, then you don't know how to learn them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Nicole, what what do you recommend? I mean, are you are you a like classroom learner or just a, you know book magazine? How do you learn? Well, yeah, it it kind of depends. Like, well, for me, it's hard to say. You know, 
I started learning photography when I was in high school. So I had like at least one solid class where I can actually say that's where I learned, you know, the balance between the exposure triangle, shutter speed, aperture prior, uh, I'm sorry, aperture and ISO and all that stuff. And from there, it was all pretty much, you know, other than the basics, it was all self-taught. I just absorbed things over the next, you know, 10, 12 years that, and I couldn't tell you where I learned everything. Um, it really depends on what, what your learning style is. If you're good at reading books, if you like to read books, I have a friend, she, if, if you give her a book, she'll read the entire thing from cover, you know, to the very back. And for me, I'll, I'll get a book and I'll kind of like sift through it and I'll get a few pieces here and there. But, um, that's not probably my best way of learning. I like to, I like to watch videos like for, you know, learning Photoshop and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I like going to classes. I would actually, that's probably my preferred style of learning when it comes to hands-on photography stuff, uh, just actually sit down and, and see other people work and I don't know, hands-on stuff. I really like that. So I'm a very visual learner, you know, so anything like that. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, you know, for people, whatever their learning style is, if they have a short attention span, maybe a class is to do it because they're going to be interacting with other people. Um, and there's always, you know, there's lots of free stuff out there. Uh, you know, there's lots of free, you know, obviously podcasts like this one, uh, tutorials online. Uh, and then there's there's paid stuff, you know, like uh, Lynda.com and Kelby Training and things like that. Yeah. So that that's that's usually what I like to do. I, I'll sit I sit around and I try and make myself, uh, I force myself to absorb something, you know, maybe 30 minutes of stuff every single day. And I just take the bits and pieces and it just kind of eventually forms a big knowledge base of photography. Yeah. Now, Alex, what, what about you? If you, had, if you had a friend that, say, just got a, you know, a new D7000, whatever, for Christmas um, or for a holiday, whatever, and they say, hey, Alex, I just got this camera. I, I think I want to learn photography. What, what would your advice to that person be, you know, as, as next steps? Well, I think that there's there's really for me. I mean, we think about of training people a lot. <laughs> That's what we do. Yep. And uh, and so for for me, there's really three things that that I always look at when I'm thinking about training. And one is you have to train your fingers. So you have to understand you know understand how the camera works, understand what it does, what it's capable of, so on and so forth. And part of that's just kind of playing with it. I have to admit that my uh, when I buy a new camera, um, this is probably I shouldn't say this on a podcast, but you know the <laughs> the manual, the paper manual sits in the bathroom. <laughs> that's you know and 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 it's just you know that's you know i just read from cover to cover a couple times you know you know just just kind of you know just to to understand what all those pieces are and and i do it over and over and over again for the first six months because you uh um what happens is as you're using it you suddenly realize i don't understand why that didn't work and then when you see it again in the manual then it makes more sense and so um so it's kind of like one of those things that a lot of times the training that you may watch is more important later um, but you needed to see it the first time, but it also is important later. The second thing is is to really train your eye. So that is going out and shooting a, a lot, but also trying to find feedback. Uh, one of the things that I really do a lot is I try to get myself around somebody who knows more about whatever I want. That is my primary way of learning. Uh, sometimes that's a class. Like last week, I was in a coding class, an iOS coding class um, with uh, Big Nerd Ranch, and they are, you know, the best trainers in the world when it comes to training iOS or programming. And so, uh, being around them, I absorbed a lot of information. Uh, but being on projects is the next big thing, which is to get on a project. You know, when I'm shooting with um, a DP like Marty Rosenberg, who um, you know was the visual effects DP for you know Pirates of the Caribbean and, and all these other things, even just doing little interview shoots with him. Uh, just completely changes how I look at stuff, and and it's and it's just how he interacts with all those things uh, greatly grows it. So finding people around you that know more than you do, 
uh, and finding ways to work with them and be part of that. And sometimes that can also be now that we're online, it's on being part of big communities and getting people to give you feedback. But but it's it's you know there is something about you know going out and taking those photos um, and having exactly what everyone else has been saying, having a challenge. Yeah. Uh, I like um, I've never done food photography. Uh, you know, really, I mean, I've never really done a lot of food photography, but we're there's this. Re- restaurant uh, that Frederick and I were talking about before the um, thing. And, and what I want, one of the things I want to do is I'm going to get Frederick to go eat there. It's this Ethiopian mm-hmm. restaurant called Moya in, a, in, the, in San Francisco. And then, and then I'm going to persuade Frederick. See, this is, I shouldn't say this, so Uh-oh. I'm going to persuade Frederick to come, come with me to shoot, shoot all their food for their menu. Oh, yeah. You know, like, like just for fun. You know, for us, it'll be like a little project. We'll probably stream it live while we're doing it. <laughs> Because that's what we do. As long as I can eat the food after I shoot it. Exactly. We'll just eat, you know, we can, and we'll be, and we'll just, they'll just roll us out. You know, and so, um, exactly. I'm, I'm hearing, I'm hearing an awesome new strategy to get free food at good restaurants. You know, it, you know, I, I gotta say that, that, that it doesn't really pay off when you look at the cost of the food or the cost of what it would take to do the shoot. Yeah. Right. But, but, it, but it's a fun little project. It's something I haven't done, but it, again, it has a client. And, and, and I think that it's not just doing a challenge. I really find that I need to have a client. I need to have somebody outside of me who wants something. Because what they do is they based on what they want, not think you can do what you can't. It is so easy when you're doing your own little challenge to just tweak the challenge a little bit when it doesn't do what you want. You know, oh, I don't know how to do that. Or, oh, I didn't turn out that way. So I'll just do it a different way. Yeah. Yeah. When you have a client, they just... Yeah. When you have a client, they're like, no, I wanted it that way. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and that presses you to figure something out. And, uh, and invariably, you do. Um, and and in, like we did a, this, uh, this shoot with all these athletic moves. It's 400 uh, moves, you know, that were all these athletic things for this project. Uh, it's all motion capture. And it's really hard. And they wanted to do things that I just had no idea how. And I just would have never even, dis- I, I would have just not even, we just didn't do any of that because we didn't want to go down that path. And us figuring that out greatly deepened our, our knowledge of our system. And, and in the same way, you know, doing it for clients. So whether you're shooting for friends, whether you're shooting for, you know, I wouldn't go out and charge if you're getting started. You know, I think that you, you go out and find people that are willing to let you take photos. Um, well, what uh, about, Alex, what, what about, you know, I put it to the group. What about... And, and I hear you because I work the same way, like I said, in terms of, you know, uh, having something specific to shoot or, or learning in a project-based kind of metaphor. But what about inspiration for that project? You know, if, and notwithstanding, so if you have a client, that's great. You know what the inspiration is. But Nicole, so we've got Nicole who is kind of, you're kind of a spec shooter. So you'll, you'll shoot and, and you put it on iStock and then people purchase that. Ron is more of a travel shooter. So you go out and most of your, the stuff that you shoot is for yourself. Like, and Alex, you're you're a hired gun, so people pay you gazillions of dollars to go to cra- crazy countries and shoot there and come back with amazing images. So you know, in terms of inspiration for the advanced amateur, how does the advanced amateur like sit down at his kitchen table or her kitchen table and say, "Okay, um, I'm going to go shoot this." Where does that inspiration come from? Is it magazines? Is it looking at other people's work online? You know, every day. Well, you know, what what the- is it? One of the things that I did when I got when I was really getting into it, so I, I did photography for a long. I mean, I started when I was like ten or ten or eleven years old, and I was doing you know darkroom work when I was fifteen. So, so I don't really remember what what it really was at that time. It was just this mass of you know energy. <laughs> but um, uh, the the thing that that I that I do think is important is to um, one of the things when I was getting into advertising. So I started doing designs for for magazines and and um, newspapers for Prime Sports Network and. And I, I got this magazine. There's a magazine called Archive. Have you guys seen Archive? 
I have not no. seen archive. Oh my. Okay, so you can find it in larger magazine rags. So you're not going to in in uh, you know Walden bookstore, in major bookstore, and in really really big magazine stores. You'll find this 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 really thick magazine called Archive that costs ten or fifteen dollars. And all it is is ads. It's just ads. It's 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 just the best ads. They just archive all the best you know um, designed ads. And some of them are designed. Some of them are just pure photography. Uh, so on and so forth. And what I would do is I would take that magazine every month and I would cut all the things out that I thought were cool. Yeah. And I didn't. It wasn't. I it, there was no technical thing to it. When I when I opened it and looked at the page, the right side of my brain went wow, and I cut that out. That's awesome. You know, that's and, awesome. And, so just, and I'll, I'll piggyback on that, Alex, because yeah. I, I do the exact same thing, but not with that magazine. I use Evernote. So while I'm, while I'm on the web, if I see something that's interesting, whether it's Flickr or whatever, I'll clip it to Evernote into a yeah. clippings file. Then I can go back and say, oh, look at that shot. I want to try that thing later. Then I have something to sort of inspire myself from because I can't remember everything. Nicole, how do you get inspired for, your, for the shots that you're doing? A lot of it's the same way. I, I will leave, like... For example, uh, I recently was looking just through like a, a little free magazine that you get at the grocery store, and it had a food photo with pomegranate seeds in it. And I was like, oh, that's really kind of cool. And I was like, I wonder what I could do, you know, a, a photo with pomegranate seeds. And then I happened to be at Costco, and they had like pomegranate seeds for sale, you know, without the pomegranate, just the seeds. So I bought it, went to the studio, and I did a shoot. And it turned out awesome, you know. And um, I get a lot of inspiration, you know, for food for you know, just little bits and pieces here and there. And then I kind of integrate it into my own style. And, you know, I, I think one thing that people have to be careful of is um, the distinction between inspiration and copying. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. sometimes there's, you know, it's it's kind of a fine line, you know, but it's also, you know, be inspired, but don't copy someone's idea. You know, yeah. I mean, with food, it's kind of like, well, I'm, you're photographing food, you know, it's there are some very creative and unique ways to do it. But a lot of it is just food on a plate. And, uh, I mean, obviously you could copy other people's ideas, but, um, yeah, but inspiration, it's, it's hard, you know, to be fully internally inspired, you know, even if it's just me walking down in the grocery store and seeing a really cool fruit or something that I'm like, Oh, I wonder if I could do something with that. And then I buy it and I work it into a shoot, you know, it's, I, I always have some kind of inspiration. Now, do you, do you, what do you use to remember that? Like if that was me walking in that grocery store, I'd probably take a picture of it with my camera uh-huh. phone and then put it in, put it in Evernote or something. Do you I do, do, you do I that? actually have, a, I have a little uh, file on my desktop, um, actually in my, just in my computer somewhere and I'll, I'll take either iPhone pictures and I'll put them in there. Um, I'll take magazines. Like I actually subscribe to like the Food Network magazine on my iPad through Zinio or Zine, whatever that thing's called on the iPad. And so I can look at magazines on my iPad and I'll see like a, a really cool setup. And I'll be like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, and I'll screenshot it and I'll have it in a specific folder. And it just kind of, you know, to give me just ideas. Um, and I think that, you know, looking at photos, you hear people say all the time, look at tons and tons of photos um, because it does. It helps you kind of work things together and piece the puzzles in your in your brain, you know, to make your own ideas and yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I, run, I, run. I like that archive magazine. I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out because that's that's kind of one of the that's things great. that I Yeah, I'm gonna get that too. I have a note on that. We'll, we'll put a link Alex gives the link so we can put that in the show notes too later. Um Ron, what about you from a from a travel photographer, casual shooting kind of perspective? When you're out, I know a lot of it's is just what you see is you know inspires you. But is there any forethought that goes into when you oh, go yeah. to a strange land? Sure, and and it's you know I mean a lot of it is I don't 
tend to go to lo- you know just random locations without having some idea that there's something interesting there to take a picture of too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's certainly, I mean, it's not at all uncommon for me if I decide I'm going to go somewhere to then Google that uh, location and poke around and see what other pictures have been taken. And you know, stuff will come up that's nearby to where I'm going to be or interesting angles or whatever. And I mean, you know, Nicole made the point that don't just copy some other photographer. But I think there are times where if you're doing it to teach yourself something, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you, you cross that line if you're going to be trying to sell an identical copy, uh, you know, trying to sell imagery that's very much ripping somebody off. But for your own use, you can learn a lot by trying to exactly duplicate a photo uh, and trying to understand, especially in the studio lighting, I've found. You know, you, you take a look at a picture and you're like, all right, now I want to try and get that exact same thing. Uh, and it's really a fascinating I mean, Alex knows, you know, coming from the visual effects world, that we do this all the time. Uh, somebody hands us yeah. uh, <laughs> a, a, a scene or an image or an element, and, and you've got to retroactively figure out, well, what was the lighting on this? Because you've got to recreate that. In, well, in and, and not only that, I mean, we, we, you know, you take so much from other, uh, when, especially when you're doing pre-visualization. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, you literally, the first version of a previs uh, sequence is cuts from other movies. Like, yeah. literally, you just edit down a whole bunch of other movies into a scene that is, that's the feel that I want. And then we use those as to rebuild in 3D exactly what that's going to look like. But, that, but, you know, this is the flavor we want. This is the, you know, the look that we want. And you'd be surprised at how, you know, I mean, uh, I, I know that there's stories of, you know, the original Star Wars, uh, you know, having lots of World War II fighter stuff that was cut yep. into oh, it. Oh, yeah, that, I've that, seen that, some of that, that you know, uh, and, those behind-the-scenes footage of that stuff. That's you awesome. Know, and, and one of our interv- interview techniques when we're taking pictures was we, we, have, we started off with a Jill Greenberg lighting, and then we had a, a um, Errol Morris set up with the Interatron, and then, but then what we did is we then decided, we then tweaked all of that. So it started, it started with two things that we could talk about with, our, with each other. Uh, like we had a language that we could say, "Oh, let's do this like this and this like," and we transform that into something that was a lot more complicated than yeah, I, one I, of those things together and added all stuff. But it, but it started off as a as a pure Xerox. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, and I, I certainly remember, and this applies very much to photography. But I remember doing it for for movies I've worked on, where somebody would come in and they would have collected great lens flares. They wanted you know the look that was like these lens flares in our CG elements. And, you know, you stare at these things, and, you know, I remember shots from, from Alien, and, you know, that was like one we just stared at for hours, kind of going back and forth, trying to, to deconstruct what the, the lens was doing with that light. And I think you, you learn a whole lot about how the camera works and how the, the whole film pipeline works by doing that kind of thing. And I think that's exactly right. If you see an image that uh, really captures your, your imagination, trying to really deconstruct it and understand what went into making that everything from the settings on the camera to where the lighting's coming from to the angle all those sort of things uh it it becomes a very hard problem sometimes trying to understand what what really is is in there especially the lighting you know and you're you're looking at the shadows for clues on that and is this a soft shadow is this a hard shadow and where are the highlights kicking off of this thing yeah. uh i think, well, I, think good I think the other thing is to be really willing to make a lot of mistakes you know there's a yeah. Uh, you know the 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 Zen saying that was, I, I um, I'm a little bitter. Served it for a book in a different way, but the Zen saying was is that you you need to make ten thousand. The difference between a master and a beginner is ten thousand mistakes. Yeah. You know, and I think he turned it into ten thousand hours or something like that. But it was that's a very old saying, and uh, uh, you know, you just have to be out there shooting a lot and take a bunch of different pictures and be willing. You know, I take a lot of photos and I and I notice like of my kids. Oh, I should have used a. You know, I got really 
really into short aperture. And then I started learning I got to close that back down again because I'm, you know, I'm not getting both the kids in focus. You know, I'm not getting this. And so you want to keep on playing with that. And, but you got to play with it consciously. And there's nothing better. I mean, it's so easy to learn photography now compared to, you know, 20 years ago when you had to write all that down. Now you just, I, I always, on, on, in aperture, I always have my, my information uh, all the ex, exif data that, 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 that it'll show it below the photograph when you're looking at it. I always have that on because as soon as I don't like a photo, I look down at it and I go, what didn't I, you know, I don't like the fact that it was this, this, and this. And I look down and I register that in my head of, oh, okay, now I have to make that adjustment for the next one. Yeah. That's well, a really uh, good point with, well, with the mistakes thing, you know, because for a lot of photographers, like I'm not going to show all of my pictures, you know, I'm not going to put every single shoot, you know, every single photo from a shoot up for the world to see. I'm only going to show my best stuff. Yeah. So, you know, that's, you know, so don't, don't look at pros and say, oh, they only take great f- photos. You know, it's, it, it's, we all make mistakes. Well, they, pros I, only show great photos, yeah. right? Well, <laughs> the other thing, the other thing is, is I, I was, uh, I remember talking to one of the photographers at, uh, at ILM asking him what, this is a long time ago, asking him what, what's the difference between a pro photographer and an amateur photographer? And he goes, a pro photographer is only trying to get one or two photos, one or two good photos out of every role. <laughs> I mean, just, yeah. You know, you're, you're taking tons and tons of different ways, tons of different settings and tons of different things and tons of different angles, knowing that most of that isn't going to work. And back then, what set, you know, I mean, there's obviously a lot of other things that set them apart, but he said that that iteration rate as well as, you know, um, the tools, as well as the ability to burn film. Because uh, as an amateur, you just don't want to burn 10 rolls of film in an hour and a half. You know, that, was, that used to be a lot of money. Yeah. And now that you have a digital photo, I mean, you, you want to, you know, really get in there and experiment and play and, and um, you know, figure out the 10 different ways there is to take that, that angle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, you look at the word amateur, and by definition, it means for the love of, and professional means getting paid for, basically. So, you know, it, it, you can't really, generalizing, of course, you can't really say that um, an amateur is less skilled than a pro. Of course, there are less skilled amateurs than pros, but the real defining factor between the two is getting paid. And I think in a lot of cases, the professional photographers are under heavier pressure to perform right because they're getting paid and they're under tight time constraints to get that shot exactly right where the amateur can go in and say you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna try to get this shot it's gonna take me six hours to get it right i'm gonna retouch it for another six hours and then i'm gonna put it online pros don't have that that luxury to do that and and one thing that i I do there's a bunch of people around me my brother my sister um some other friends of mine uh are all doing the 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 365 project Mm mm-hmm and uh, I do have to admit that puts a lot of pressure on people to go out and take photos every day. And I think that that actually I, I've, I've avoided it because I have all the pressure I need. Um, <laughs> so uh, but but the uh, but I think that if you're really trying to improve it, almost every person I've talked to that's been involved in that has said it's just really changed the way they take photos because they no longer are creative when the when the feeling strikes them. They're creative because they have to get another photo out today. Yeah. You know, I tried and that. They, I, and could, they, I couldn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> That's before I had my iPhone, though. But if I could do it with my iPhone, I'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, I don't. Right, I don't need yeah. another point of failure. You know, <laughs> 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 something else to feel bad about. Crap! I didn't get that shot today. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's I, so I funny suspect they, I, I would have a whole lot of pictures of you know, like my nightstand right before I turned <laughs> the light. Oh, I'd have about like you know, three hundred photos of my cat probably. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Now, my dad. My I, my uh, my my brother does have like he's he. he, he was taking he has some go-to things that he just takes pictures of if he needs to get something up you know it's just it's like uh today isn't going to turn out but it's they get so excited when they actually get it work you know when, when they actually have one that that they uh you know got out that day it's it's a big payoff 
Well, you know, with that, though, I will say when I was doing it, you know, like the, I don't know, three months that I was able to do it, um, I got some photos uh, that I would have never taken that are really good photos uh, because I forced myself to take pictures. So, you know, you're, you're probably like 50-50. You're going to get like, you know, a few good photos and then, a, you know, a few crappy pictures of your nightstand or whatever. So, yeah, it's, it's a good it's a really good thing to, to try. I think everyone should at least give it a shot and don't feel badly if you don't make it through. Well, let's sew it all up together. So in terms of photographic inspiration, you know, we I started with what's the best mechanism to learn photography? Is it books, workshops, classes, online training, etc.? And it sounds like the group consensus is, yes, it's whatever you feel most comfortable learning with, as long as you're learning something. Um, get in there and learn. As far as getting inspired, once you are, you, you have a basis of knowledge, um, just make sure you capture things that inspire you throughout the day, whether it's from magazines or taking camera phone shots when you're in the grocery store or if you're going to a location, doing a Google search about what's in that location before you get there so you can get inspired about what you're going to do when you get there. Um, and then just sort of roll it up together. And when you're shooting the, the thing or whatever the object is, make mistakes. Be liberal. Get in there and just shoot lots of frames. It's free. And, uh, you know, express that uh, or exercise that Shutterfinger muscle. Did I hit, did I hit it right, guys? Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, let's move on to the next story. Um, this is from iFi. So iFi has announced a service called iFi View. And I think if I'm not, if I'm, I have an iFi, but I haven't used it in a while because it's, it's an SD card. Um, but basically... The way the the way the service works for folks that aren't familiar with iFi is you you first you configure the card you put it in their 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 um, SD card holder you plug it in the USB port on your computer and you authenticate it against whatever services you want to be able to upload photos to whether it be Flickr SmugMug etc I think they've they've got a ton of different services that you can upload into so once you do that you pull it out of that holder and you stick it into your camera and from that point forward you can shoot and it will automatically upload when it's on a recognized hotspot so when you set when you set up the upload services you also uh, authenticate it against a hotspot like the one in your house or it's you know wherever um now this new service they have here uh, i think is basically exposing that middle piece of it which was a traffic cop so you would essentially when you take a photo, it would automatically get uploaded to the service online that would then route it to whatever photo sharing service that you had subscribed to. Now I think they're exposing that traffic cop a little more. So when you upload to their service online, you can go to that service from a web browser or whatever and redirect it to wherever you want, whether you want to send it to someone, a, a group of people via email or whatever. So I think that's the specific kind of thing what they're doing here now you guys have you have you tried out the iFi device at all i know alex you probably have 15 of them laying around right uh, i'm broke i don't know what happened to it it just doesn't <laughs> doesn't work anymore and oh somehow really killed it and uh yeah i had i had the, the pro one i loved it when i was working i just just killed it somehow and i'm sure it was my fault um the uh uh but you know i think it's good i think that what they're trying to do is of course try trying to reduce the friction between shooting and sharing and yeah. that's 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 the constant um, you know, flow, and that gets back into why, you know, I just wish my iPhone was connected to my camera, you know, because yeah. it's just like I just want all the photos that I'm taking on my camera in my iPhone. I don't want them to go somewhere else. And so, uh, because I want to be able to share them any way, I, any way that, that I, I please. And um, so, yeah, you, want, you want your iPhone to be your traffic cop, right? 
Yeah, and so this is the second best thing. I mean, it's to to you know to get it up there. I think that it is a lot of us are using Flickr and SmugMug and all these other things. But you know, when I think about my parents or my kids, uh, you know, they uh, they aren't still don't really use a lot of. Yeah. And yeah, I now think the question th- is, are they the type of person that's going to buy an iFi? That's the issue. My is thing is, I'm, iPhone, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of of uploading photos that I haven't touched yet. You know, I mean, not that I have to touch every photo that I shoot, but I want to look at it, and sometimes I boost the contrast or do a little crop something. You know, this is like right. shooting raw to the world. You know, that's, that's the only thing that scares me. Nicole? You know, yeah, well, I've considered getting an iFi because I got the stick CD, and it's an SD. It uses SD cards, which I, I don't really have. You know, I have a point-and-shoot, but I don't really use it that much. And the cool thing with the 60D is that you can actually edit photos uh, in the camera. You know, if you shoot a RAW, you edit it, it exports as a JPEG, and it saves it to your card. Um, then it has, like, fun, you know, like, fun effects that you can add to it, too. Uh, I was like, well, it'd be kind of cool to get an iFi, but um, I haven't taken the plunge yet. They're a little bit more expensive than normal SD cards, but this service, I don't know if I would use it. You know, I don't, I don't know. It could be, the, the biggest reason is because it's limited, and then you have to pay, you know, and I'm like, well, Flickr, I pay my 25 bucks a year or whatever it costs, you know, for a, a pro Flickr account to put things on Flickr or Facebook um, or just, you know, twit pick them or just put them to my computer. So right. I don't know. It's, it's kind of like, you know, I think a few weeks ago we talked about the Nikon, my picture town place. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's like, well, I don't know. Are people going to pay for it? Are people going to use it? Is it going to just kind of disappear? And this is even this is even lower on the totem pole <laughs> because not many people are going to even know what this is, you know? So. Right, right. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking. I was thinking um, I'm already... I have a Smug Mug account, which I love. I have a Flickr account, which I love, and I use them for very different things. Why would I introduce another service into that? So I need to look deeper into it because I can I can shoot using iFi and have it upload into Flickr if I want or upload into Smug Mug if I want. So where is the – and from there, of course, I can log in from my iPad and email it to people or whatever I want to do if I wanted to go in that direction. So, yeah, I think, but I think I think Nicole is exactly right that this is really analogous to the the Nikon thing, where there's a certain subset of people who will get a product and just want somebody to hold their hand through all the functionality that's available, and not have to go find some other solution or learn about something else. And so, it, you know, it gives them a streamlined path for it. I don't, you know, you certainly can. I think the interesting thing is you can certainly see where all this is going to get to eventually with. Uh, the, the idea of pulling a card out of your camera and sticking it into something to offload is going to go away at some point, which will be wonderful. Uh, and the you get to I'm wonder su- how soon that's going to be. The thing that I'm surprised at is how we haven't, I mean, maybe someone already has done this, but I haven't seen it yet, is the idea of a service for like a wedding or an event where a photographer might, I'm going to, sh- you know, the photographer is going to come with their camera and take professional photos, but they also come with like 10 point and shoots that have iFi's in them that are just uploading to the internet, <laughs> you know, immediately. Oh, actually you I've know. heard people that actually someone on Twitter would, you know, who was asking about the iFi and, and if you have, I think it's a one D mark, one of the, you know, the Canon one DS, whatever's that have the SD slot and with the actual CF card at the reception, they'll have a, they'll have a Wi-Fi access point. They'll be taking pictures of the reception and they'll be like streaming them onto a, a slideshow projector. So oh, I see it'd be really cool. cool to do that. I don't know what you're using, but Oh, it was definitely like that, and then the idea is to get ten cheaper cameras and just give them to the bridesgrooms, you know, the you know the you know or the you know bridesmaids, and just let them all you know let everybody in the whole thing just take all the photos from their point point of view as well. Yeah. Um. And then and so you have the professional photos that you took, but then you augment it with all these just you know you can just kind of fan out. But the thing is, is not. 
I would just literally screw those um, cards shut. <laughs> you know, just just literally find a way to just, you know glue them in, yeah. so that they're not they're not thinking about that. They're just taking photos, and those photos are automatically just going up to the web, uh, so that they can um, you know so that they're just firing them off, and then you know you can decide whether you want to make them public or not. But then the bride and groom have this huge thousands of photos that they took. I think you're defining the next wave of wedding photography, Alex. That's uh, you know, it's all digital all the time. The with an album delivered, the final retouched album delivered on an uh, iPad, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be cool. All right, next story up is from a company called Simply Postcards. Um, this is an iPhone app that allows users to mail their photos as physical postcards. So you take a shot, do some cool stuff to it, address it hit a button and it shows up a couple days later in the mail. So uh, again, playing devil's advocate, I'm, I'm thinking who sends physical media anymore and who's the target for this? Oh, I, you know, I would use this. So I just want to say, this is my first, my first business plan I ever wrote was for a, to put cameras at like the, the, the grand Canyon and so on and so forth, where you would take a photo or you could bring your, your, you know, you bring your own camera in and do it. And it would print a postcard that you could send people. This is in the early nineties. Yeah. But, uh, thank you. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> but the thing is, is that there are so many people in my family that just, you know, like my, my mother-in-law does not consider a photo a photo until she has a physical version of it. So that's you know, the audience so, for it then, right? Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, she just doesn't think it. She, literally, I have to print photos out for her. Actually, I don't print them out. I email them to my wife, and then she figures out how to print them out. Yeah. Um, but the, because uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of all digital. Like, I don't, I have my iPad to look at photos. I don't really print things anymore. Um, but, but I do have a lot of family members, older and younger, that would love to get that stuff. And when I'm in Africa or somewhere else, if I knew that I could just sit there and take a bunch of photos and then come in in the evening and just fire off a, a bunch of postcards, I would do that. Mm. Nicole, would, would you would you do it? I would totally use this, and I would love to get them in the mail too. Because I, I recently started my own project. I'm trying to force myself every month to print a, and frame a photo and hang it on my wall because I never print anything. I'm like Alex, where I everything's online, everything's digital, yeah. and it's. I'm just trying to start. You know, when you have something in your hand, it's cool. You know, getting physical, physical whatever photos and. It's, it's like, getting, that, like getting a handwritten letter or something, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we don't do it that often. I think that's why, you know, it's just a little bit more, uh, I don't know, sentimental. I don't know. All right. It so the, 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 dead, the dead tree advocate on yeah. the line here, Ron Brinkman, I know is going to love this, right? Now, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, whoa, hold on, dead trees. Just, just because, you know, books are still valuable doesn't mean that all... <laughs> Dead tree products are that useful. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So, uh, wait, would you use you this? Still, you still buy books, don't you? I do. Yes, <laughs> he of, does. I heard of people like you? Yes. Not only do I still buy books, but I, even if I buy a digital version of the book, I'll eventually find myself going out and getting the paper version of it. Oh, wow. I just can't deal. You're with gonna the have some heavy boxes when you move, my uh, friend. I know. That's why. That's why I haven't moved in 20 years. <laughs> um, I actually, I, I like the idea. I mean, you you, you do have to sort of recognize that it's not quite the same getting a, a photo that's posted from probably somewhere in uh, you know the states uh, as opposed to getting a postcard that comes from some far-flung location that's got the cool postmark and everything on it but you know like they say it's the thought that counts so I can I can kind of see this I don't know sort of I don't know I mean you know I I still say I mean yeah I hear where you guys are coming from but like the path of least resistance and considering how easy it is to share an image that I shot digitally 
You know, yeah, it'd be great to get one in the mail, but like when I get when I get physical media now in the mail, it's like it's nice, and I I like getting physical things from people um, in the mail, provided it's not from Yemen. But I like that tactile, <laughs> the tactile feel of getting an object and kind of looking at it. It's like somebody put some thought into sending this to me, but then. It, you know, it's taking up space in my house, and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with this now? I feel bad if I throw it away. Yeah, now I got to keep it. A, you know, yeah, as a postcard, though, it's kind of. I, I think it is just. It's a sort of a special occasion thing. How, how much does it cost? Is there a price on there? Or? Uh, let's see. Your first, your first one is free. I think it's like a. I think it says uh, it says a digital postcard credits can be purchased within the app for as little as a dollar. So, yeah, I don't know if that's a dollar per postcard. I haven't. I haven't really looked into. I just downloaded it like a couple hours ago to see nice. what it was and I haven't even played with it yet. So send, send me a card, Nicole. I want to see if I like uh, it. I'll, I'll send you a card with my free credit. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Send me one of some pomegranate seeds. That's what I want to oh, say. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I think the biggest problem these days is you know, who has people's addresses anymore? Exactly. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's <laughs> your your mom thing. and your grandma. Yeah. And that's really where I think it is, though. You know, I, my mother would love to get one of these things and, uh, you know, so... Yeah, yeah. All right, we'll see. You guys try it out. Let me know what you think. And, you know, <laughs> we'll I, do that. I may flip my opinion if if the card I get from Nicole is compelling. So. You have to send your address now, Frederick. Yeah, I will. I'll send it to you. All right. Uh, the last story is about Photo Plus, which uh, none of us clearly are there right now. So. So we'll have someone on this show next week that can give us a full debrief on what went on at Photo Plus. I know Derek's story is there, so we'll try to get him back on the store on the on the show. And he, uh, I think it was speaking in the Low Pro booth while he was there. So we'll see. Do you guys know of any any fantabulous news popping out of there from any of the big guys? No, was, there's nothing. You know, everything happened last last month at Photokina. So and Photokina is such a big show that they, you know, that's where it all. That's where it all happens. Yep, yep. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. All right, Alex, who is, uh, who's our second sponsor? Our second sponsor is Squarespace, uh, squarespace.com. Of course, Squarespace is the fast and easy way to build your own website. Uh, it's all WYSIWYG. It means that you can just go up there and start editing. Uh, you can build, I mean, it's got photo galleries. It's got all kinds of links into Flickr. It's got links into Twitter. It's got links into all this other stuff. And you don't have to figure out how to make that connection. You don't have to write a lot of code to, um, you know, figure this out. You don't have to, there's no, you know, you can, you can, you can add your own, you know, custom CSS. You can add all of your own stuff if you want. But you can also just sit there and drag it and decide you want to make something bigger and make it bigger. And I want a photo here and I'm going to put the photo there. And, and it's all done on the web. It's not something that, you know, it's not like iWeb where you're going up and down. You can import stuff from WordPress and other things and export out. So if you decide that you really like your site, but you don't want to use Squarespace anymore, you know, you're not locked in. So, so Squarespace is, um, it's what I build my, you know, my little blog, which I sometimes go up to. <laughs> like I, 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 I'm working, I have a whole bunch of like stuff that's half done, but I built it all in, over a weekend. You know, and uh, and you know, it was just great to be able to just kind of throw it all together and have it. And it's got Amazon links, and it's got all kinds of extra pages. And I could have that that would have taken me months to do any other way. And so, um, so Squarespace dot com is just you know, if, if you're not a uh, a gearhead and you just want to get your photo site up or you just want to get something else up there, this is just a great 
uh, a great place to go to get that. And you can start for free. You don't even need to put a credit card in or anything else. You can just start building a site. I, I'm just working on one for somebody else right now on Squarespace. And I literally just go up and I put my email in. I put my, what my site name um, is. And, uh, and then I can just start playing with it. And if you decide you like it, you can pay for it and make it your own URL. Right When you start, it'll be you know, whatever your site is, .squarespace.com. If you want your own URL, you'll, you'll pay anywhere from... Eight to a little bit more, you know, eight to twenty or thirty dollars, depending on how big the site is. Probably closer to eight or ten dollars a month. And um, and, the, and the key to remember is is that you'd be paying somebody to provide that service, but it's all in the cloud. You don't have to worry about um, you know bandwidth. Uh, you don't have to worry about you know. We put some. We put four gigabytes. Uh, so the DV Garage site is all on Squarespace. Uh, Squarespace. I mean DVGarage. Com, and I think we put four or five gigabytes of of f- footage from. Uh, the Ask a Ninja challenge that we were doing, and and I and I even emailed them. I was like, "So I'm putting a lot of stuff on the server. I just want to make sure it's going to be okay." And they're like, "Oh yeah, that'll be fine. It'll it'll handle it." You know, you know, and it's you know, and and uh, uh, you know, they they uh, they weren't they weren't too worried about it. And so um, so anyway, it's it's totally something. Now that depends on what version of the of the uh, site you, you're using. We're using the biggest version uh, for our for our uh, company website. But um, but you can also get smaller versions that are a lot less expensive. And, and as I said, it's just easy to throw together, put together, and, uh, and update. And so definitely check it out. Go to squarespace.com slash twip, um, and you can get, uh, not only you can sign up for free, but you can also get 10% off the lifetime of your uh, of the site of the you know the cost of the site by uh, using the uh, coupon code TWIP. So go to squarespace.com slash twip. Awesome. All right, it's time for some listener Q&A. Every week our producers, the twip producers, scour the forums at thisweekinphoto.com forward slash forum to find the best questions for us to answer on the show. And we've got some good questions this time. Nicole, you want to uh, you want to take this first one? It's from Fishtop yeah, sure. Fish Records Fish. in the Washington, D.C. area. All right. Fish top records. Yep. All right. This person writes, I'm not sure I really like auto exposure and I'm sure that I don't find autofocus all that useful. I know how to focus a lens and matching exposure, exposure needles was not really all that hard, which to side note, that's with manual stuff, by the way. Uh, I'm sorry, film stuff, by the way, back, back <laughs> in the day for old people. I can see why the consumer first moving from a point and shoot to a DSLR might need some handholding. <laughs> Clearly shooting in a studio with lights doesn't need auto exposure. Similarly, shooting outside in the sun doesn't need a lot of auto-exposure calculations. So here's this question. Do working professionals use this stuff on a day-to-day basis? Do they trust the computers? And if not, why do they not? Well, uh, I guess my answers to all of those are, uh, yes, I use some auto-exposure. I use Aperture Priority. That's probably the biggest one I use. I do trust my my camera. I think that the technology is, is amazing. And uh, I also use uh, autofocus. And if not, when do they not? I guess... I'm going to use manual focus every once in a while. I'll use manual exposure when I'm in the studio. Um, but I think what it really, all of this, what it really boils down to is your, your knowledge of your camera and your knowledge of photography. If you want to shoot in auto, any kind of, you know, like for me, I don't ever really go to the full auto modes because it takes over way too much control of, of all the settings. Um, but if I'm using aperture priority, uh, I know what my camera is doing. I know why, you know, I know what the aperture is set to because I'm choosing that. But I know when it's going to a specific shutter speed, I know what it's going to do to my shot. You know, and I think I think that's the biggest, the the most important thing is uh, 
if you don't understand what your camera's doing and, you know, maybe why your pictures are turning out blurry or camera shake or whatever, then that's kind of when you need to take a step back and, and maybe go into some of the, you know, education stuff and learn about it. Because if you're just going to buy a camera, think it's going to take great pictures, put it in auto and go at it. It's, it, it can't make all of the decisions for you because it's not a person, you know, it can make the technical decisions, but it just, it's, it, you have to know what you're doing. You know, you have to know what your camera's doing. And I think using auto is absolutely fine. I think it does a really good job, but it's not perfect. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Normally, I'm in aperture priority because I'm a big fan of just controlling the uh, the the depth of field in my mm-hmm. photos, depth of field in my photos. Um, but you know, you know, like you were saying, it depends, right? If I'm if I'm trying to get more motion, then I'm gonna play with the shutter speed. You know, so it's but you you have to have that fundamental understanding of what the different controls and light manipulation tools in your camera are doing. Um, and and let that guide the mode selection that you pick. But on the on the auto stuff, you know, like you're saying, Nicole, auto on these the on these modern cameras is strong. I mean, it's a it's like supercomputer strong in here. And in some cases, especially fast paced situations, like if you're you say you're you know you're in the Olympics and you you need the, you need to put the camera on focus tracking, so it's it's tracking the runner and the lighting is changing or something and so you just want to make sure you get the shot. You want to come away with something and not be fiddling with, you know, oh, I got to make sure that this is this it, you know, my aperture is correct and my shutter speed all this stuff. If you just want to like let go and let the force take over, let the computer do it, you know? And then but like you were saying Nicole, just understand what it's doing so that you can give it control and then take that control back when you need to fine tune. Alex, what what about you? What are you doing when you when you shoot? Yeah, a lot of the time, I mean, I usually start out with uh, aperture priority and also with, um, I mean, aperture is really what I usually want to control. And so yeah, uh, yeah. aperture priority and um, autofocus. And then I start tweaking. So if it's not, especially if I want to do some, if I'm dealing with a complex lighting situation, a lot of times I'll switch away and just go to manual uh uh, manual exposure, where I can start playing with it, just because I, I I want it to remain, I want it to stop messing. You know, it, sometimes it can just get inaccurate when it's got a lot of in a dark situation or a lot of different lights coming in. Uh, it's jumping around a lot, and so I, I want to stabilize it. Um, also, I'll switch to manual. I shoot a lot of panoramas, so if you're doing something where you're going to stitch stuff together, or you want to take a bunch of photos that are going to match together, you want to turn that all off so that it it doesn't keep on changing and adjusting to that. And uh, sometimes with panoramas, by the way, though, you do want to leave the auto. Uh, you want you want to leave the aperture priority on mm-hmm. uh, or shutter priority, um, and the reason is is that if you allow it to um, aperture priority, I'm sorry. Uh, the reason is is that you want to you want to allow it to go ahead and adjust all the way around for if you're doing a 360 degree pano because a lot of the software, whether it's Stitcher or Photoshop or other other pieces of software that stitch this stuff, will actually blend those fairly intelligently. And um, it means that you'll get good exposure all the way around. If you have a dark area on one side and a light area on the other, go ahead and let your camera kind of adjust it. I do it both ways usually if I'm on, if I'm somewhere, you know, and then, um, and then figure it out later. But so, you know, the thing, the, what I will say, though, is if you're not practicing, if you're not on a job, I would set everything to manual just, <laughs> just, just to uh, strengthen that muscle to, to make sure that you really know what you're doing. Uh, know what know how those gears are turning I think that that's really a great way to strengthen that muscle and so uh, definitely doing that um, you can also I swapped out the focus mirror or the focus um, clip on my um, on my 5d so you can get other um, you know focusing screens mm-hmm. that are much more tweaky than the one that comes with the 5d uh, and in other cameras there's a lot of time there's a little slot that you can just pull them out and put them in it scares the 
bejeebers out of you when you do it. Yeah. Um, but but it's not that big of a deal once you've done it once. And um, and what that does is it makes it um, it, it actually shortens it, the apparent aperture, shortens the apparent depth of field, so it makes it much easier for you to get crisp focus. And um, and I find that I. Uh, uh, I like to know how to do that because in low light situations, in, in, in other situations where I really want to control it, um, sometimes I, I still go back to manual focus. And so, and, and once again, when you're not on pressure, the best thing to do is to build those muscles. That's what, yeah. that's what athletes do when they're not in a game. <laughs> they're, they, they're not, they don't practice just like they're in the game. They build certain muscle groups and they strengthen certain other areas and so on and so forth. And you want to always be looking at how you're going to do that when you're not, um, when it doesn't count. All right. Well, question two is from uh, Vissi Nax, I think I'm pronouncing that right, in West Covina, California. Um, and this listener says, on travel trips, I usually limit myself to one specific lens or shooting style since I just find it broadens my perspective of the photography world. Um, and their most recent trip to, uh, to Bodie Ghost down here in California, they decided to try HDR on some of the, or all of their shots and was satisfied with the results um, however, because it was windy, the the person had clouds that were moving in the scenes between the, the between the shots, resulting in overlap and ghosting. And they're wondering if they're doing something wrong, or is it processing errors through photomatics? Ron, what do you, what do you think about this? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, HDR shooting with the multiple exposure thing is a hack, right? It's a it's a way of capturing extra stuff. Uh, but you're trading off the fact that you're not really taking a single photo. You're you're spreading out your photos over time, and usually you can get away with that if it's uh, a very static scene. But obviously, you don't see too many people shooting HDR with uh, sports photography or something like that with multiple exposures because it just doesn't work. Uh, so no, I'm sure what he's describing is is exactly accurate. But there are some ways you can get around it. Um, you know, he says that he doesn't think the shots are more than two to three seconds apart. But I'm curious why he's not using the auto bracketing tools that most cameras have these days where they can generally get a sh- couple shots off in a second. Yeah. So that will certainly help with it. And, uh, you know, I've had to do this kind of thing where you, you just end up going into Photoshop and dealing with it. You know, you, you'll take that. I mean, the nice thing about clouds is that they tend to move, even though they're kind of roiling and broiling and all that, between, between the span of a second or so, it's mostly a linear motion. So what you can do is just kind of go in pan one of the images over just adjust it by a couple pixels in either direction until you get it so that it lines up better do the hdr of that adjusted image and then kind of use photoshop to blend everything back together and that may be what you need to do if there's that perfect shot that you couldn't quite get right with all the all the things lining up properly yeah alex what about you any tips for this listener yeah, I mean, I think that that you know making it making that image a little bit sometimes allowing your camera to um fire it off faster. I know that some of the HDRs that I've had where I feel like there's a lot of things moving, I will go to a slightly smaller JPEG instead of RAW. And I know that sounds odd, but what it does is it shortens the, the, the time between firing. Um, and oftentimes that can get you a, um, uh, you know, you can get everything a little bit closer and, and a little less ghosting. And some of the, the tools are getting better, but it's still, as Ron said, it's real cheap. All right. Uh, and the last question quickly from uh, Paterk in Australia. I'm going to throw this over to you, Nicole. Do you want to take this one? I know it's sure. about a Nikon, but you can, <laughs> you can take it. I uh, recently purchased a used Nikon D70 with a DX18-70 G lens. The lens is a little notchy for one other way of describing it. When I zoom in and the movement or operation is not smooth as I think it should be, is there a lubricant that I can use, possibly graphite, or would this be a huge mistake? I can live with it 
but I think it should be better info. Any info appreciated, and thanks. Uh, well, it, so- it sounds like, like you said, it was a used camera, and I'm guessing that the lens was also used. Um, I don't know. I don't know much about that lens, uh, but I, I think Alex, you wrote a note here that it's a, a kit lens, <laughs> and I don't know. I would say either send it in or buy. I'd buy a new lens. <laughs> Well, yeah. I, the, the problem is the, cha- the challenge with these kit lenses is they're just not the, – the, the fit and finish generally is not great. And um, it's not what you're going to get used to. I mean, and, and we are snobs, so I'm just going to say that right now, is that we're used to using expensive lenses. And, and, and if, you've, if you've used one in the past, you will feel like the kit lens is – now, I, maybe he is really – there is something mechanically wrong with the lens. But I know that if I put – it's very hard for me to get a smooth zoom. Uh, with my kit lens in the way that I get it with a more expensive, um, you know, lens that I, that I typically use. I have kit lenses and I use them when I'm, you know, in areas that I think I'm going to destroy the lens. Um, but the, uh, uh, but I, I think that I, I just know that it's not going to be as, that the experience is, is not going to be as nice. Um, so I'm not sure if that's what he's referring to or whether there's a mechanical problem. Maybe take it into a camera store and compare it with another similar yeah. lens. or Because yeah, my guess is if there actually is something wrong with it, I personally wouldn't want to do anything to my lenses by myself. And if you were to yeah. find out how much it actually costs to get it fixed, it might be the exact same amount as just buying a new lens. Um, yeah. Because, it, you know, a lot of times you send it in and just them looking at it is going to cost you money. So, uh, yeah, I would just say get some professional assistance at a camera store that's real good about doing stuff like that. Yeah, don't don't skimp on your lenses. You know, yeah. lens, lenses are are the the most important part of the flow. It's the the path between you and the light source or the source of light that you're trying to capture. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, and Nicole, I, I 100% behind you. Don't try to mess around with, yeah. <laughs> with fixing this complex optical device that attaches to your expensive camera. Probably not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's time for the picks of the week. We're going to blow through these really quickly. Uh, Nicole, what's your pick of the week? Well, I'm a really big Lens Baby fan, and they recently uh, just announced or put out their their new Creative Aperture Kit. It's the Lens Baby Creative Aperture Kit Two, and it basically just if you're if anyone's familiar with the Creative Aperture Kit, what it is is it started out with just a star and a heart, and you put these little aperture discs in your Lens Baby, and it creates the bokeh is you know different shapes. So um, it used to have just those two different shapes, and then a bunch of blank ones that you could cut your own. Well, the new Aperture Kit has all of these. Uh, user-created shapes, and they're really cool-looking. It's like $20 for uh, the whole set. You get nine of them. And, um, yeah, it's uh, I'm probably going to be buying one here pretty soon. So I'll probably post some stuff on my blog if anyone's curious about seeing what they're like. But it's just it's just real fun. If you like Lens Babies, I'd take a look at it. Nicole, I'm curious, um, as, a, as a pro shooter and iStock contributor, do you, do you, have you found that you're able to contribute any Lens Baby photos to iStock? Yes, I do. I don't, I don't use it as much as I would with like my my seventy to two hundred is like my absolute favorite lens. So I use that for the majority of my work. But I, you know, I've challenged myself. I had a, a an event, an ISOC event that I went to a few months ago, and I gave myself an entire day of all I shot with was my lens baby, and it's it's just a fun way to kind of you know broaden your creativity and just kind of it, literally you know their their thing is um, unlike their Twitter thing and their Facebook thing is see in a new way in a new way so uh and it does it helps you know i've, I've had people ask me about um well can't you just do it in photoshop and you know i'm yeah you, you kind of can but you're kind of losing the whole point of it i think um because when you when you have a lens baby and you're actually taking the pictures you do see things differently and you compose things differently 
And um, but yeah, as far as the eye stock thing, yeah, there's a lot of uh, lens baby photos, not just mine, but other people's as well on eye stock. And it, I don't know how I don't know they they do okay, you know. But I don't I don't have a huge collection because most of the stuff I do is is more on the 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 kind of I guess not this isn't a negative term, but boring stock as opposed to like creative stuff. Yeah. yeah. So because um, I, I shoot things more for you know things I think people will actually buy. And, uh, you know, I, I put more of my effort into that than, cre- than making the creative stuff. And a lot of that is just mostly for my own. When I use my lens, baby, it's just for myself mostly. Got so. it. All right. Mr. Ron Brinkman, what's your pick of the week? So I think we've talked about the photographer, uh, James Noctway on here before. He's mm-hmm. a, uh, you know, documentary photographer, really one of the standouts in the field and, and just some amazing photographs. If you're enough, even if the name's not familiar, uh, I can guarantee you, you've seen some of his photos. And there's a documentary out there that I didn't really realize was uh, was available until recently. And I just rented it and watched it. It's called War Photographer. Uh, and it's all about Nakwe's uh, photo. And they, and they really follow him around in some just crazy situations. Um, you know, war zones and, and just, you know, I mean, him photographing extreme poverty and all kinds of stuff. It's It's not a, it's not an easy thing to watch, quite honestly. It's really gut-wrenching. Uh, but they do a really good job. He even carries this sort of little mini video camera that he he's holding like right behind his own camera as he's taking some of those photos. So you really see the kind of in-action camera's eye view of, of what's being shot and when he's clicking the shutter kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty amazing from that perspective. But also just, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. The, the The guy has just got cojones of steel. I mean, it's crazy, the stuff that he goes into. Uh, and just the absolutely insane, insane things that he sees and that he's been through. Um, it's really, it's, it's pretty humbling to watch it uh, and pretty gut wrenching at times too. But I, I absolutely recommend it if you've, if you've ever considered wanting to be a documentary photographer. Uh, this is sort of the, the the far end of the spectrum from where it can be. Uh, but it's called War Photographer. I rented it on Netflix and, and I just returned it so somebody can probably get it if we grab it quick. <laughs> Uh, but it is for sale on Amazon. We can put a, a link up to that as well. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, Ron. Alex Lindsay, what's your pick? Uh, I am picking an update because people often ask me what my bag is that I use. And I've been using the same bag um, for uh, uh, for years and now. And I keep on trying other bags. And they just updated this one. And so I decided to use it as an opportunity to talk about it. I use the Kata 467, and it's now the 467i. Um, it, it holds my laptop. It holds uh, lenses and, and cameras in the bottom. It's got a great little pouch in the front. It's got great pockets on the outside. It just happens to fit everything I need um, on a day-to-day basis of what I'm carrying around just perfectly. There was one complaint that I had about the 467, and that was when I want to attach a tripod to the outside. So it's got this little uh, thing you can zip open and put the bottom of the tripod in it. Mm-hmm. And then you can pull the, the strap to the side of it. But the problem was at the top, it wasn't secured. And a lot of times the tripod, it, uh, if I was running around, I was um, uh, you know, having trouble with it. I was actually shooting in Brazil and it was just constantly turning upside down And uh, when I was trying to go from place to place to place quickly. And so uh, what they've done is they put another strap on the top. I mean, that's that real big change in it. It's not, you know, is they put that strap on the, on the top. I, don't, I haven't really seen any other changes to it uh, other than that. Um, and it was a good opportunity. They, uh, Liana actually, um, 
uh, as has good contacts there, and so um, they sent one to me and uh, to, to test, and um, and it's great. I mean, it's as good as the old one, and it's got this extra strap, which was the only thing I could really find that I didn't like about it. And so, um, so anyway, it, you know, a lot of people ask, and and that's what I, I mean. I just haven't found one that just was that had the same fit and finish. You know, it just feels really rugged. Um, it it has been all. It's been on you know four or five continents now. And um, so it's pretty, uh, you know, battle tested from my perspective. And, um, and it's just what I use. It's, it's the one bag other than the carry on that I take on um, that I take everywhere all over the world. So anyway, that's my pick. Very cool. All right. The Kata DR467i, right? Yep. Yep. And it's Love not that expensive. Kata. I don't think it's that expensive either. No, like, you know that's the thing. I've got a Kata bag too, which I just love, and it's uh, they, it's a great value. I mean, there you know you can find camera bags that have really similar features that are hundreds of dollars, and yeah. I don't you know whatever. How much? Doing, how much does right. this one cost? What's the what's the range? It, you know, I'm sure it's I, under a hundred, isn't it? What? Yeah, I think it's like eighty bucks or something. Yeah, no, not, I mean, and that's the whole thing. Is that and uh, that's the thing. I would pay twice what I paid for mine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I always but, look at it. It's $85 on Amazon. Oh, and, um, and it is, uh, and so it's $85. This isn't a big, expensive bag. And, and I always go, every time I go to buy it, I'm like, am I going and looking at the right one? Because this is a lot cheaper yeah. than, it, than, I, but, and, than I remember it. And the one I have is, is uh, Sensitivity 4, which I've had for several years now. And it's also been on, you know, four or five continents. And uh, same thing. It's, you know, it's an $80, $90 range, I think. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's, and it's just great. It's low profile. It's the biggest bag you can get that will fit when it's full, will fit under the, the seat in front of you. And, you can, and if I'm looking <laughs> in, at the same, economy. if I'm looking at the right one, you can also get a 15 inch laptop in there too, right? Yep. Uh, you can put a 17 inch laptop in there. Oh, geez. Um, so the, uh, the, um, but I, I, I have a, I, I put a 15 inch. It actually, in that little slot, I have both my, I have a 15 inch. Typically on a, on a trip, I'll have a 15 inch, an iPad, and an economist. Knowing you in the future, you'll probably just have a MacBook Air in there, right? You know, the problem is, is that I still need the 800. I need the FireWire 800. I need a couple other things that the that the um, that the bigger computers have. So I'm I'm I, I actually travel with a 13 inch most of the time because yeah. I can open it in economy. Um, you know, and uh, 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 so that you know that's my thing is I always want to know that I can open it, even though I'm usually getting Economy Plus or something else. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I want to know that no matter what seat I sit in, I can open up my laptop. And with my 15-inch, that was always a problem, is that I just didn't – I was always afraid someone was going to break the screen from, from when they lean back. Yep. And with the 13-inch, it's just the right – it's just uh, small enough. And I'm trying to move to a, a Bluetooth keyboard in my iPad uh, for small trips. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but right now, I still find that I need – I need the FireWire 800. I need a couple other things that, I, that just doesn't – I need two USB connections, you know, that kind of thing. So. Mm-hmm. All right, and my pick is background material from Denny Manufacturing Company. This looks so good. It's called Photo Black. This stuff, I have some of this right now, I'm and so I'm jealous. about to make another order for this stuff. It is, it is made out of some alien material that absorbs <laughs> photons. So <laughs> whatever you put in front of it, the background just drops out completely black. I mean, you know, it been, is magical. I love like, it. You know, we've how been far heavy- from? Go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, how far from the background? Like, can you be like right next to the background? You can be almost right next to it. I mean, I, I like, put subjects like maybe a foot away from it. My gosh. And like baby, you know, you there's a lot of baby, newborn photographers that I could see this being real popular with because you want to set a baby on a black cloth. You yep. know, is it that kind of a thing? It is that kind of a thing. Uh, oh, and it. It's it's I can't I can't express I mean I've it's durable I've I ha, I've had what I bought for like literally I'm not even kidding like ten years I've had the piece that I bought for ten years now it's getting a little 
tattered, so I'm replacing it. But you know, it was on the top of my mind because it's sitting in my shopping cart at at uh, Denny Manufacturing Company right now for me to hit go on. But this stuff, if you don't have any of this stuff, I mean, for video, for stills, yeah. for product photography, baby photography, um, they even say on the site that you can use it for, which is obvious as like light shaping material. So you can use it as a gobo to block light out as you're shaping yeah. light on a scene. But it's you know, I don't. It's made out of some kind of crazy felt stuff, but it's you know relatively lint resistant, and it you know like some of the stuff you buy will just attract every piece of lint in the house, and you end up with this right. you know this thing that you need to retouch. But this doesn't necessarily do that, and it's black. I mean, it is really black. So. You know, I've, I've been wanted, we've been had a couple opportunities where we wanted to shoot like Charlie Rose style uh, video. And uh, it's really hard to find black that you can light the subjects really well and still get the background to go black. That's the hard part is, is getting all that lighting in there and then getting the black to be black. And I'm, I'm, I saw that they had a 10 foot, it's like almost 10 foot high, 24, 24 feet wide. And I was like, oh, I need, I need that one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that expensive. I think the biggest one is, I mean, it's expensive. It's like, what, 479 I think they have a discount that on big it now. One, but, but it's like, but, uh, for, but for $150, I think they have like a nine by seven or something. Yeah. Like yeah. And, and it lasts you forever. I mean, it's not like you're, okay, I'm going to use it once and it's gone. You know, it's not, it's not seamless paper. This is, this is backed material that is like on, on one side, it's like, uh, what is it? I don't know, rayon or something. And on the other side, it's this material. So it's very sturdy. So I would uh, definitely recommend it if you don't. And, you, and, you, and, and, evident, and, and I bet you, you can't take it out of the country because the technology is just too. <laughs> we, we would not. We would not allow. We would. We don't want to see Osama bin Laden using this black. Yeah, yeah, power. yeah, yeah. We can't. Uh, we can't let it get out of our out of our boundaries. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys, we are at the end of the show. Let's do the round table. Nicole, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Nicolesy, N-I-C-O-L-E-S-Y. And I also have a blog. It's NicolesyBlog.com. Awesome. Ron Brinkman, where are you at? Uh, on the Twitter, Ron Brinkman, R-O-N-B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N. And Mr. Alex Lindsay. I'm on the Twitter. Alex Lindsay, all one word. All right. Awesome. And if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, head over to ThisWeekInPhoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter account, and oh, so much more. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash frederickvan. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.